Hello again, everybody. It's Ron Rimkus here with CFA Institute, and today I'm joined by Teresa Barger of Cartica Management uh, from Washington, D.C. Uh, Teresa, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ron. Um, so success in investing always comes down to the three Ps, right? People, process, and philosophy. Could you start out, just orient us with your particular approach to process and philosophy? Yeah, sure. Um, so we are an emerging markets activist fund, uh, global emerging markets, and we uh, have a concentrated portfolio of only about 20 stocks from the whole world. And so our process starts with country selection. We believe in country selection because that's where the big money is made. When you can anticipate that risk premiums are going to be falling in a country, that's when you can really, um, when the rising tide will lift all boats and when you can make the big money. Um, we also like to have just uh, reasonable tailwinds in the um, countries we're in. Uh, and obviously currency is a big part of that, as well as uh, macroeconomics and political surprises that you might want to be avoiding. Uh, so that's first, and then uh, we take a private equity process to company selection, and that's a very deep fundamentals, bottoms-up uh, process. Uh, then we are very careful about checking the integrity of the founder or family that controls the company we're in because that is what is available to buy in emerging markets. And then the fourth thing we do is engage with each com company to enhance its value and, and uh, re-rate the stock price. Okay. Can I drill in a little bit on your country selection approach? Sure. Um, what sort of fundamental factors do you look for um, and how do you view... Uh, the monetary cycle or business cycle uh, as relates to your style? Yes, so we obviously have to take all of that into consideration. One of the first things we're going to look at is external vulnerabilities, uh, and that's because currency does play such a big role. So we will look at countries where we think that the uh, current account is reasonable, the deficit is low or uh, controllable or getting better. Uh, we'll look at foreign exchange reserves um, and what the outlook is for those. Um, we'll also look at the uh, quality, for example, uh, of, of that current account flows. So in the Philippines right now, they've got a lot of imports, but they're capital goods that are coming in as a result of having had several years of good FDI. And those, for example, a lot of them Japanese companies, are now importing capital goods. So you do have the current account deficit getting a little wider, but it is because uh, imports, particularly good imports, which would be capital goods coming in, that then would be part of growing the GDP over the longer term. So that, that would be something we would look at. Obviously also uh, the political cycle uh, as well as the business cycle. And right now in the emerging markets, there are several countries that are really benefiting from cyclical factors. Um, I call them the brim. Okay. And uh, would you use that same sort of criteria to exit a particular country? Would you sell an issue just because you see the country variables starting to waver? Absolutely. Okay. Um, 
We have always liked Colombia as a general matter because it's a country that has had very good policy. In general, the governments really care about the welfare of their people, which is pretty much the most important thing about, uh, about a government. Uh, however, uh, they found oil about 10 years ago and managed to get oil up to 50% of exports, uh, which is unfortunate. So in uh, the middle of 2014, when oil prices started falling, things really went south in a hurry for a company, country like Colombia. So that was uh, very uh, dispiriting and something then we had to exit. Okay. Uh, I'd like to also drill in a little bit. Um, I was surprised to, to learn that you're an activist emerging market yeah. manager. Um, so I was hoping to drill in a little bit on that and maybe you could elaborate on uh, you know, what, your act, your, what your strategy is for being an activist in, uh, in these markets. Yeah. So I think the most important thing, Ron, if I could start with that, is that there's something structurally very different about the EMs, and that is that 85%, at least, probably more than 85%, of all listed companies are controlled company. Someone owns 50% or more of the company. Which would make it hard to be an activist, right? Well, so it makes a difference. So of those the vast majority are family and founder controlled companies. So a family or founder owns 52% of the company. So we are not going to get in a proxy fight with someone who owns 52% of the shares. What we need to do is engage constructively. We need to persuade them to do uh, things that are value additive to their stock price and to their company. And if we have good analyses, and we've got a family or a founder or a patriarch who's really eager to listen and eager to get their stock price up, then we can work with them to persuade them to do the, the, the right thing. Um, so as, you know, once you've established that, you sort of understand you know, the, the, the country that you want to be in, the, the particular companies and the approach you want with them. Um, is there anything you can share with us on, on the currency side? You know, specifically, you know, what is it about the currencies or the tenant monetary policy that you're honing in on? Um, well, I think, as I said earlier, external vulnerabilities would be the first thing um, that we would look at because... Driven by a change in trade? Uh, could be driven, yes, absolutely could be tri driven by a change in trade, as we've seen in the Philippines. Also, differential inflation rates. Um, what we have seen now uh, around the world is that inflation in general seems to be abating. Um, so if you take look at a country like Brazil, the uh, exchange rate, I think, surprised everybody by... Uh, getting stronger at a time when they were still in recession and have terrible political um, uh, crisis, or specifically a presidential crisis. Um, however, inflation is coming down at a very uh, fast rate, uh, and and it looks to be structural. Um, so when we invested in it, we, we were out of Brazil uh, when Dilma got elected. Uh, and then went back into Brazil last summer. Uh, when we started investing in that company, the Celic interest rate was 14.25%. Yeah. It's now 10.25%. So that's the kind of monetary policy reaction you can have when you've got a big structural change in inflation. 
Um, so there, obviously those are all going to feed into issues on the currency. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to watch the developments in Brazil. Uh, I've been watching yeah. them myself. Yeah. Um, so you have to do it every day. Mining reform is passing today. Oh, is that right? It is. It's just today, yeah. Yeah, I just uh, uh, saw a couple weeks ago that they uh, passed some new uh, employee labor Labor reforms. Yeah. Yes, you might be interested in the fact that uh, 2% of the world's workers live in Brazil. But what percent of the world's labor law cases are brought to courts in the world? I don't know, but I guess... It, Brazil brings 50% oh of all goodness. labor law <laughs> cases. So that's why labor reform was very important. And it was passed during a terrible presidential crisis. Wow. So there's really some it, important reforms going on there. Hugely important. Yeah. And they have a very functional Congress. Yeah. Despite the fact, of course, that they all got elected using funky campaign finance. Yeah. Uh, but over the last year or so, they've passed on average a new bill every three days with an average of 82% of the Congress voting in favor of it. Um, so let's, let's take a step back from Brazil and just talk a little bit more broadly about the, um, the wild ride that emerging markets have gone on in the past eight years or so. And there's a, a few different periods. They, you know, they were strong after the uh, great financial crisis of 08. And then they had a period of weakness in about 2014, if memory serves. And then the last 18 months or so, and they've started rebounding. Can you kind of put that in context? You know, what's, what's going on underneath the hood? Yes. Um, so after the GFC, the, or during the GFC, the emerging markets, who had nothing to do with the U.S. mortgage crisis or, or European banking, got fully hit along with everyone else, right? So when you got a big disaster of that, proportion correlations go to one. Yeah. So the poor EMs got hit for no fault of their own. Uh, they came uh, back from that actually quite nicely, 2010, 11, 12. Um, then starting in 2013, what we saw was a slowdown in global demand, but in demand in the EMs. Mm -hmm. And we started to see a slide in the relative growth rate between the EMs and DMs. So when EM, that gap in growth rate, a GDP growth rate between EMs and DMs is growing and higher, you tend to have stock markets do better. And when it is uh, falling and smaller, they do worse. So that was what's happening between 2013 and 2016. We saw um, sales growth come down. We saw margins uh, to compress a bit, mm -hmm. and we saw EPS growth come down 2013 to 2016. That seems to have then started to reverse itself in the middle of 2016. So it's just a fundamental improvement in recovery? Fundamental improvement, um, and so you had sales margins and EPS coming back, and from 2016, a little hiccup there as the whole world um, turned on their heels in November 8th, 2016, took their money from elsewhere in the world and piled into the U.S. because we were going to have infrastructure, we were going to have fiscal reform, we were going to get rid of red tape, and the U.S. was going to you know, blossom again. That whole Trump trade thing is now over, but it was a hiccup for the emerging markets. Um, then in 2017, we've seen enormous flows into the emerging markets um, as people saw this growth differential 
picking up again, as well as on the fundamental side, things picking up. And then we've got cyclical reform in what I will call the brims, Brazil, Russia, India, and Mexico. Mexico, if you, if you take the BRIC framework, those are the top four GDP countries, and the fifth is Mexico. Okay. Since China is sui generis, we just sort of set that to the side. And, and structurally, you know, we expect slowly uh, growth comes down on the larger base. Well, that uh, leads right into my next question, which is, you know, five years ago, all we heard about were the BRICs. And, you know, in, in the interim, you know, we've seen Brazil going through uh, a number of high-profile setbacks. Um, Russia, you know, has been struggling with lower oil prices and recession. Uh, India has been notorious forever about getting your money out, so investors have been a little bit reluctant, but there's lots of reforms with Modi and whatnot. Um, and then obviously China, there's a lot of, you know, ongoing talk about a lingering debt problem or burgeoning debt problem or some sort of possible cataclysmic event. Um, what do you see, and, uh, you know, throw Mexico in the mix, you know, what do you see for those uh, countries going forward? Yes, yeah, so for the um, near or medium term, there's cyclical recovery in the brims, right? Yeah. Um, and so that I think is quite good. Uh, obviously, you have Brazil and Russia in a recovery because they got had bad recessions, yeah. right? And, and in both cases, rather commodity related. Um, and uh, India and Mexico quite different. Mexico is not an oil country, I don't think. Uh, because it also imports oil as well as exports oil. So net, it's a very, uh, petroleum products are a very small part of, of GDP. Um, and they've also had a lot of reforms in Mexico. Uh, they have not resulted in the kind of GDP growth that we would have liked to see. Uh, but they are very important long-term for competitiveness of Mexico. So that's quite good. And then in India, we are very... Um, uh, uh, happy about the reforms there, and there are two particular areas of reform in uh, India that I can say more about if you like. Um, no, I think that's about all we have uh, time for today, but Teresa, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for joining us, and uh, please uh, follow all of our content at cfainstitute.org as well as the Enterprising Investor blog. Thank you. Copyright 2017, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.